Hello, and welcome to Revolution 22's teaching podcast. We are a church from the downtown area in Boise, Idaho. Thank you for joining us today and hearing this week's sermon. We pray that God's word will be received and will bear fruit in your life. Well, you guys are in for a treat today in the history of the church. This is exciting. Um, We started quite a while ago talking about the vetting process for uh, a new lead pastor and another elder here, and that was with Ryan. And we shared, put him before you guys all at the beginning of this last month and wanted to, to tell you that today we're excited. After a lot of vetting and a lot of time, we are excited to pray him in to position. And this was not done without looking to 1 Timothy 3 or Titus 1, confirming the qualifications met there as an emblematic Christian and a man who loves the Lord in that way, plus a lot of interviewing of people in his ministry background and friends and all kinds of other people in this process. So we're super, super excited about that. So we're going to, in a moment here, we're going to bring Ryan and his family up here to pray them into, officially into position. And uh, before we do that, though, John wanted to share what we wanted, well, we all, you, Wanted, someone wanted to share. Yeah, my turn. Uh, yeah, we wanted to just clarify, uh, what, is, what is this thing we're doing today? How does it work? What is a lead pastor? How does it relate to elder? Uh, that sort of thing. And, and really, we're calling Ryan to do two different things, two different, very distinct roles, even though they, they go together. Uh, the New Testament uh, speaks of overseers who are also elders who then pastor. Uh, the main word for what we normally call elders is overseer. It's the word for overseer or bishop uh, in the New Testament. And in, as Protestants, we kind of, bishop, what, do I have to wear a hat? No, it, it's just the word for overseer, the ones who are responsible for the health of the church. And then the word elder refers to the mature leadership of the overseer, And the word pastor, which means shepherd, explains how a mature spiritual overseer leads by shepherding, by caring for the flock. And so first, we're acknowledging uh, that Ryan is an elder uh, here at Rev 22, together with Rich and Bren, myself and Steve, who is getting on an airplane uh, as we speak. Uh, or at least at the airport as we speak. And uh, so, so God calls us as elders to oversee, to shepherd the church together in plurality. It, it's really a cool system that God has set up, that there isn't one person who's in charge, but as a plurality, the elders are responsible, the overseers are responsible together for the health of of the church. And so Ryan, first of all, is becoming an elder or an overseer. We, we say elder, so I'm just going to say elder, all right? Now, we're also asking Ryan to become the lead pastor, right? And, and so there's a sense in which uh, you could say he's, we're asking him to be first among equals, not in the sense that he has one and a half votes. All of us just have one vote. All of us are absolutely equal on the elder team. But to say he's first among equals is to say that the, the, that the elders have delegated to Ryan the responsibility to run the day-to-day operations of the church and to, to help lead us, to, to help us move forward in, in mission and vision. But we as elders are responsible collectively and equally for that process. 
All right? So that's what we're calling Ryan to be, calling him to be an elder and the lead pastor here at Rev 22. And if you have questions about that, grab me, grab one of these guys, even talk to Ryan about it. He understands this pretty well, ironically. Um, so we would love to talk to you more about it. But we're excited to have you guys come on up and... We're going to pray you in, and you will be installed, Ryan. Why do we call it that? Yeah, I don't know. Before we do that, we didn't do this last service. Can you just real quickly run through everyone's name? It's way easier when they're up here. So, yeah. So the one child that's not here is Hannah. Hannah is at college in Santa Barbara. Uh, and then my mic is, is on. Okay. We'll see if it kicks in here. Uh, then I have Gabe, who's my senior this year, Abigail, who's a junior, Gideon, who's a freshman, and Jose, who's a seventh grader. And this is my wife, Katie. Thank you. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you, God, so much um, for your providence. Thank you that um, throughout uh, some of the difficult times here, Lord, you've, you've had a plan all along. You are good. You are sovereign. You have, um, what a blessing um, to, to be able to witness your work being done. And, um, and Lord, thank you for, for this family um, just pray, God, that that you would protect them as um, as they press into to ministry in this way again. Um, for sure, you know the enemy doesn't like that, and he pushes back. That's what he does. So, Lord, we're asking, um, begging, even, Lord, would you just protect this family, this precious family? Would you protect Ryan and Katie um, and all the kids, God, just from from all the attacks that come, um, the direct attacks, the physical ones of sickness, the the um the faith related one lord just protect them all these these kids lord just and and help us as a church um just lift up this family in prayer help us to encourage them help us to um just to to value them and make that known um to them lord thank you god uh, would you just continue to bless this church and um as as we all humbly uh, submit to you and to your word and to everything that you are and have called us into. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Yes, it's exciting. So you almost always predominantly see us just teach through Scripture, whether it's a big, big overarching view of Romans like we're doing right now, or working out week to week uh, more intricately into the Scripture verse by verse. Um, but since we did this over the summer with the rest of the elders, we thought it'd be good, especially since Ryan is here in this role, to go ahead and do a get-to-know-your-elders today. And so I behave first service, so no promises that I won't go off script this service. I did say first service. I have a lot of dirt on him, but he probably has equal or more dirt on me, so I don't want to start the game of sharing that with him. Kind of, um, like, kind of like Russia and the U.S., just mutually assured destruction. Yes, yes, exactly. <clears throat> Um, I did think about this in, in passing real quickly. Do you, so when we did, did our lawn business, mm-hmm. do you remember how um, we were trying to figure out how to charge things for different things? And I would just start charging people for random stuff. And do you remember when I decided to add that poop scooping would be a, a charge we'd do? <laughs> yeah. And, and I remember that one time we went to this one house, and I kid you not, there must have been like 16 dogs or like poop there for like 16 weeks. And you just yeah. kept shaking your head being like, Brian, what are you getting into? Brian? Yeah. There was also a whole day that we crawled through rose bushes to yeah. install drip line. Because yeah. Ren thought, what a good adder. Let's install sprinklers while we're at it. Money. We don't know what we're doing. Mm-hmm. That's great. You do. Um, I don't think that is a metaphor of what's happening here. I don't know. <laughs> no, 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 no. Just, no, no, no. No, just no. either way, I thought I'd bring it up. Yeah. Um, 
Real quickly, I guess uh, you, you introduced your family, which is awesome. Yeah. We want to spend some time getting to know you, so I'm going to yeah. ask a few questions, and I'll, I'll try and stay on script as best I can this time. Um, so what is something that no one would ever think to ask you, but you, we feel like, you feel like they should know? Well, I don't know if should. I thought of one, one weird one and then one probably more serious and helpful one. So the first one is I love old cars. I've actually probably owned 20 vehicles in my life already. It's actually, we counted 20 vehicles, three motorcycles. And of those, most of them are classic vehicles. So of 66 Bug, 66 Travel All, Jeep Wagoneer, Ford Highboy. Just love vehicles. If I, if I had unlimited money and unlimited, unlimited time, it'd probably have Jay Leno's garage and it would be a fantastic day. Um, I still disagree with the 66 bug. Yeah, no. 66 not a classic? Just because Steve yeah. probably drove one when he was a kid doesn't mean it's not a classic. Um, <clears throat> and then, yeah, probably on the more serious side, I was telling the partners at a meeting recently that I took, I took a person, one of those personality tests uh, recently, and I'm not going to tell you which one. Someone already figured it out, even between services, without me telling them what personality test it was. But uh, one of the things that it said that I think was really helpful that might be interesting for you to know is uh, it was describing my personality. And it said, you might find that people often ask you, do you, do you have a lot of emotions? Because you don't seem to. You don't seem to show emotions easily. And the, the little note said, but you, you feel like you're a cauldron of emotions with a lid that's barely staying on the top. And you're trying the best you can to only let out the right, the good emotions. So people would only see those. And I'd say that's really true of me. Like I, I have been told before, like, I'm not sure that you show a lot of emotions. And I'm like, oh man, that's not how it feels inside. I feel like I have a lot there. I'm only trying to let the right ones out, the good ones out. Um, so feel free to ask me. Like I might not be the first one to cry, but I'm probably feeling sad deeply for whatever's going on. And similarly, um, you know, if, if I'm frustrated, that's probably there. You just got to make sure I, I know it's okay. It's okay to share it. <laughs> it's not a bad thing. What's the trick way to tell you? you know, yeah, like, hey, just Ryan, say it's, it's yeah. okay that you're sad. It's all right that you're <laughs> it's sad. It's okay to be frustrated <laughs> right now. Then I feel like it's I can right let, it's, it's right. It's yeah. good. So yeah. Um, okay, so before we get to youth, I feel like there's some pictures that we got to go to to actually go to our youth here. So, yeah. Yeah, I threw some youth photos. So there's, there's young Ryan, and I, you know, this is way early 80s, and I don't know why, but the cool jackets are the ones with those little loops on your shoulder. That's how you knew you had the cool jacket, even if it wasn't the right brand. If you had those, I don't even know what those do, but they Parents were just, you didn't <laughs> drive the pullback. So there's me. That's Boise, early 80s. Uh, next one you can go to. So... Uh, <laughs> Uh, Miami. So much in this My, <laughs> There's such a story. Miami Vice was really cool. Don Johnson. Who didn't want to be like Don Johnson? And my grandma was a good enough seamstress that she knit, she actually made me that jacket. You know, you had to roll up the sleeves, right? Like light blue, and then the white pants and everything. And I don't I don't remember this day. I'm obviously way too old to be riding a pretend horse. So I don't know. There's a pretend horse. There's a fishing pole with a bag at the end of the string. I don't know what I'm doing fully, but what's uh, what's the? And don't say that you don't know the pretend horse. I don't I've know been his to your name. house a bunch. He still sits by the side of your bed. No, I don't know his name. I don't have him. <laughs> I don't have him. I wish I did. No name. Okay. Uh, and then there's me. <laughs> First time before rollerblades were cool. This was, we happened to be in McCall and they had the first rollerblades in the store and it was my birthday at the same time. So I asked for my present when my parents rent me rollerblades. So I got rollerblades, only had ever ridden the cool four wheel roller skates up to this point. And if you can sort of tell that, that road's a little sloped. And that road keeps sloping even more down near the bottom. So there's a car at the bottom of that hill that has dents on the hood and the top of the car as I rolled over the whole thing. Because I couldn't, no one told me the, the brake's on the back. It's not on the toe. So I just kind of rolled over the whole car at the bottom. That was the end of that day. also before the understanding that that wrists and heads didn't no, need to no, be just protected. Just elbows, elbows and knees. knees. We, don't wanna, we don't want to rip the clothes. That's yeah. all we cared about. 
Awesome. Okay, so what, what was your youth like? Let's yeah. talk about that. So I grew up here in Boise. Um, was uh, super blessed to be here before it was cool. Uh, back in the, in the day where my house was up above where Cabela's is today, and uh, that was our sledding hill down through the, the horse fields and the cows, uh, ducking at the barbed wire fence as you went across Franklin Road. So um, that's what it was back then, just two-lane little road. Um, I was born into a family uh, where my parents were raised in the Nazarene Church. Um, if you don't know much about the Nazarene Church, it comes out of the holiness movement, so sort of Methodist movement, and all those religions tend to have, all those denominations tend to have um, a sense of like a, a desire to be more sanctified, sort of uh, this, this idea that you can be more holy, you can kind of have almost like a, a second level of perfection that you can reach. And so if you can imagine that sort of a theology starts to create sort of a perfectionistic mindset. And so I was very aware of that uh, growing up. Um, my parents felt that as well. Um, I have, I'm the oldest of five. I have four sisters. I have two biological sisters that were all 16 months apart. And then when I was 18, my parents adopted one of my sisters. And then again at 20, they adopted another uh, sister. So uh, oldest of those. And yeah, I grew up in the church. Um, felt, felt very blessed that, that that was part of our, our life. Um, and yeah, that was, that was a, lot of, a lot of my life. Yeah, so okay, in that, what, I mean, what did God do to compel you to like draw you to him? Like when were you saved? How was faith? Do you have a story there? Yeah, it's, I've got one of those weird stories where my first experience of thinking of myself as a Christian was I was like six or seven in the pews. Don't do it again. He's like pews, like wood things, people yeah, that they sit pews, on. No, pews yeah, are pews. wood things for the young crowd. We were in, right? I was in a pew sitting there and the pastor again at a Nazarene church was doing an altar call, uh, which was very popular. And, uh, I remember sitting there at being six or seven and thinking, that's right. You all ought to go up there and get saved. Now, now why I thought that, I don't know. No one had prayed a prayer with me, but in my mind, I was already made that. I was already there. I was a Christian. I don't know what made that happen. That was, I wouldn't, I wouldn't recommend that as your way of, of bringing a child to faith or your witnessing technique is just hope they come to that conclusion on their own. But like, that was my experience that, um, my faith kind of just unfolded over time like that, that at six or seven just felt like I was a Christian. I remember getting to junior high, I hadn't been baptized, but someone started teaching on baptism, kind of shared it. I'm like, oh, I probably should have done that. I don't know why that didn't happen. So I was baptized at that point in time. I remember as, as I got a little bit older in college, you know, people encouraged me, hey, you should seek what the Lord has for you as far as gifts and how that would look and, and continue to open up. So that, that was sort of my experience. I didn't have that experience where it was sort of C.S. Lewis putting God in the dock and like kind of mentally thinking through everything about him or even no one even sat down and like did what, again, I probably wouldn't recommend just doing like, you know, ask God into your heart kind of conversation. Never had any of that. Um, so when I, when I think about that stage of my life, I think about this passage from Mark 10 talking about Jesus. Um, and it says, and they were bringing children to him that he might touch them and the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God, like a child shall not enter it. And he took them into his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. I just think about that reality that I think some of us, we do have a very like, it's a tumultuous experience to come into faith where we're wandering different directions, finally come into it. But some people I do think, and by God's grace, it can even be children, can be brought in early on, can hear the, the good news of the gospel and just latch onto it. That's how Jesus seems to say it, it both can and in one sense, we all should come to the gospel like that, just in, in faith and in trust. And so I just have a real heart for children in that sense too, to see them hear the good news of the gospel, that that might potentially be true in their life. 
So you mentioned that's awesome. You mentioned a couple of people, like people in your life. Mm-hmm. Like who, who are some of some maybe some childhood people that mm-hmm. were in, like instrumental in your faith, or people you looked to like, oh, I want to be like them. And then yeah. maybe some later on in life people. Yeah. Um, yeah, so when I think about my youth, I can think of two, two different examples. One was this couple. They must have been in their late 50s, late, uh, early 60s, and their kids had all moved out of the home, and yet what they chose to do, so imagine, their option was they could go home and chill for a Sunday afternoon, but they chose once a month to invite the fifth grade boys over to their house. They would buy us pizza, <laughs> hang out with us, usually show us a movie, and they would just share and talk to us about our life and, and make sure they talked about Jesus with us. And I look back, that is just such a profound thing, especially as I'm older now, to realize the sacrifice that they were making in that moment. And, and it still has an impact today on me as, as an adult. Like, what am I willing to give up in my comfort to do that? Uh, the other memory I have from a young person was a pastor that I just loved. His name was Pastor Peterman. And Pastor Peterman was like the quintessential, you know, 80s pastor with his suit and really looking good. Super good looking guy, gray hair. He's probably in his 60s when I was there. He's, he, he, he's still around town. I think he's in his 90s now. Um, must have been in his 50s then. But if you, you come up to him as a kid, if you were quiet while he was talking to someone else, he would just stand there. And then slowly what would come out of his pocket was a penny. And he'd hand you the penny. And that penny was the key to his office door. That meant you could go in his office as long as you were respectful, and he had a gumball machine in his office. And you could take a little, turn around, get a little gumball out, and then you had to come back and say thank you when you were done. And it's at that moment that he would have a conversation with you about what are you learning, what's going on in your life. And I loved that, so much so that children, you will find that soon, very soon, I will have my gumball machine in my office. And you are welcome to come up to me in honor of Pastor Peterman. And if you stand there quietly, I will give you a penny. And that is your key to the office to go down and grab a gumball. But then I want to hear what God's doing in your life. Um, before, so. <clears throat> before we move on to the next people, yeah. how old do you have to be? Like, like can yeah. I, like... You're too old. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then, yeah, I mean, I, there were so many... I, I feel really blessed by God that there were so many people who poured time into my life. And I really feel like that made a really big difference for me in my trajectory and just the ways that God has grown me and challenged me. People uh, through ministry, through junior high and senior high group, uh, Rod Ritchie at Cool Community Church, thinking about other friends and pastor elders I was involved with in ministry. And then especially as I went to Minneapolis, I was a part of a church there, just my bosses there, Kenny Stokes and Dan Holst, um, as well as then just, uh, yeah, just a lot of people poured in. Most recently, I, I have a pastor friend who he's 92 this year. And uh, man, God has just used him in amazing ways. He is still, last month, he, he did three funerals as part of what he's still doing at 92. He goes down to the retirement home down the street from him and cares for those people. And when their family needs someone to help them out in that moment, he still goes and does that. I just love him. He is such an encouragement. Uh, it's just so good to catch up with him, know what's going on. And he just has loved and cared for me well throughout life. That's awesome. Um, okay, so you've, you, you kind of said it a little bit there. You've served in a myriad of different ways in ministry. You've been like, you volunteered, you've been voluntold, you've like done the volunteer like thing, you've done the paid thing, you've done the like volunteer leadership, you've done the paid leadership. So can you kind of run through the whole thing? I mean, I think at one point you had to deal with like young, fun, amazing youth that you led well, like weren't giving you headaches or anything like that? I, I enjoyed hanging out with you, Brent. Yeah, that was the best year of my life. Best year was, of my life. Yeah, it's such, such good memories. No, yeah, so I, I mean, uh, one of the weird things for me and for Brent and I both, we, we, we grew up in a youth group that was like 300, almost 400 students. And so they had a very robust youth leadership program. And so I was involved with that. That's actually where I preached my first sermon. I still have the original overhead from when I preached about Paul and his journey in Acts uh, uh, there on that stage. Overhead is... Oh, oh. No, no, yeah, thank you. <laughs> we don't 
don't use them anymore, children. Um, and then, uh, yeah, my wife and I, we were part of a, a church plant when we were first married in the uh, 2000. Uh, we weren't the, the leaders of it. We were part of the core team who started that. I was a more charismatic church plant expression. And then um, that church kind of wound down in 2004. And then we ended up at Faith Community Bible Church, uh, where I was a deacon and then an elder. Um, I helped uh, originally with youth ministry and children's ministry, getting that kind of up and running and going, and then was involved with preaching and teaching in different ways, classes and things like that. Um, In 2013, we went off to seminary to Minneapolis. Uh, I was at Bethlehem College and Seminary, which is part of Bethlehem Baptist Church. And so I was at Bethlehem. I was on staff there. So I worked for the lead pastor at one of their campuses, Dan Holst, who was also the worship pastor. So he stuck me on stage and made me sing whether I liked it or not, which felt very naked not to have a guitar or anything to hide behind or a podium. So when does that <laughs> yeah, we can talk about that. And then, and then I had a chance to work uh, with the pastor for church planning and lead pastor of another campus, Candy Stokes. And uh, that's how I helped with church planting in that capacity and kind of led to us coming back in 2017 and church planting in downtown Boise, Table Rock Church, and loved that experience, loved that God used us to to start that up, and uh, felt in late 2021-22 just that God was winding that season down, and so we stepped back and we landed here at Rev, and uh, we're just blessed to be a part of this body for the last several years. Awesome. Um, Okay, so this is where we get to get fun, and I go off script a little bit, but so um, what's one, well, I'll I'll be nice, what's one thing that you're really excited about in this new role? Hmm. Like, we've talked about this a lot, like an area that you see kind of a bunch of potential, like Mm -hmm. what God's already doing, and that you're Mm -hmm. excited to build on. Yeah. Well, I'll admit that I think, I feel like I'm cheating. I'm getting like a 10-year-old church, and so much of that is due to your work, to many of the other pastors, and everyone who came before and I am just so thankful for that because it feels like, you know, it'd be like getting a 16-year-old child and being like, wow, this is so easy. They don't cry at night anymore. It's like someone did that for you. Someone got them there. And so, I, yeah, I, I feel like I'm just so excited with where God has Rev. And, and I'm excited about this idea that, you know, we, we are, I think, poised just to keep moving forward. And, and I, I think that's because of you know, a lot of things that you have done and even in this transition. I know we've been in a tumultuous season, but I'm, I'm excited about what God has for us. And, you know, we just, we have this moment where we're stewarding life, right? That's all of us. We're stewarding a job, we're stewarding our house, we're stewarding children if God gives them to you. And I'm just excited to have a chance to steward this as an elder. And then especially in, in my job as a lead pastor, just uh, super thankful. I feel like God has Rev in a very good place. We have things that you can't manufacture. I feel like we have people who genuinely love being around each other. I feel like we have people who are trying to seek the Lord well, who want to know how they can be engaged and better care for one another, as well as uh, do what churches do, which is reach out to our community. And so those are, those are things you, you, you can't just make happen. I think that happened over 10 years. And so I'm excited for what God might do with that next. Well, in every new season, it brings fresh eyes, right? Mm, And so there are definitely like a few areas that, that Rev has hit the glass, the proverbial glass ceiling, needing to be strengthened and encouraged and, and, and maybe led through. Has, has God shown you any of that stuff yet? Is there anything you're excited specifically to try and help Rev grow in? Yeah, when I, when I think about like where we're headed next, I mean, I, I really think uh, what God would, would be really encouraging us towards is how do we care for each other? Well, I was thinking about Ephesians 4. Right, and this is where he starts. He starts with rather. He was talking previously about don't be deceived by the by the enemy, but rather speaking the truth in love. We are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, 
from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And I think that's, that's where I think God has us next. How, how does each of us feel released, equipped, encouraged to run in the ways that God has gifted you that we all might start operating? And what does it say happens then? That the entire body is grown up then into Christ Jesus, the head. That's, that's what we all want. And so I think that's what we're, we're really in a good place to do. I think I see a lot of people who are just saying, how do I get in? What do I do? Tell me how this works. I'll be happy to jump in. And I'm really excited about that. I think that's, that's always the hard thing about a tumultuous season is I think people kind of step back to make sure we're going to get through it. And then my prayer is that as we've gotten through it now, and I think a lot to your example and, and how you've helped through this, I, I'm looking forward to how God uses that to release people and let them start to run and really uh, operate in the gifts that he's given them. There's never any shortage as a pastor of things to pray for, people to pray for. And I know you take it seriously, which I appreciate, yeah. as all of the elders do. When someone says pray for us, we actually pray, which yeah. is wonderful. Um, is there anything specific that God has been leading your heart to pray for, Rev, just kind of collectively? Again, I know mm-hmm. you've been praying a lot. but Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so this is my prayer as I thought about that question. It comes from Philippians 2, 1 through 8. This is my prayer for us. So if there's any encouragement in Christ any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. I just, I, I just pray that we find that, that heart of humility and servitude for one another, that, that heart that we see most clearly in Jesus Christ, our Lord, and how he served us and cared for us that way. That's one thing that um, you're praying for strength, specifically for you, your family mm. in this season. Yeah. Like this is a this is a big transition that you've done before, mm-hmm. but you're doing it in a different time, different season. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you would think to pray for us, I, I would just ask and covet your prayers for just our our faith and for our relationships. I, you guys may have noticed this. I've noticed it multiple times in my in my life now that. The more I press into the Lord, it feels like there's this counterbalance push of, of pushing back against me and, and by the enemy, by, by, I think, very real spiritual forces that don't want to see me move forward. Uh, again, to quote C.S. Lewis when he has in the screw tape letters and he has his head demon, Wormwood, talking to another demon. And he says, our biggest goal, one of our biggest goals should be to make them think we don't even exist. Just leave, have them leave a very passive life where they're not really engaging God. They're just kind of trying to stay under the radar. The problem comes when we start to really press in. And I, I really think that's true. I, I, I was saying to first service, I think yesterday might have been like one of the grumpiest days I feel like I've had in like the last four months. And sure, some of that's just on me and my flesh and my bad attitude. And yet I also think that the, that the enemy wants to work against us when we press in. And I, I would encourage you to pray for my children who they haven't had that experience enough times to always know that that's what's going on, that there might be spiritual attacks and things that are going on in their lives And so just pray for us, pray that the Lord protect us, that we'd be quick to ask for help when those things are going on, that others might pray for us and care for us. Because I think that's real. I think that's real for all leaders. uh, And I think it's real in all of our lives. And so it's helpful to recognize when that's happening and ask for help. Um, So I I pivoted this question a little bit and messed you up a little bit for a service, but you did did good. But um, (laughs) 
One of the things that I know to be true of you, because I've seen it since I was really young, um, like 50 years ago. How old are you? I'm sorry, just kidding. Um, you, you are never slow to bringing any situation, social, serious, Bible study, whatever, to, to focus on what you love about God and how God speaks to you in the scriptures, which I just absolutely love about you. And so when I was asking this question, which is actually your original question to us before, so it's your fault, but when I was asking this question, I was like, man, how is he ever going to ho- focus in on one thing? Like, what is <laughs> what, like one thing, something that you love about God and why? And again, I know the gospel and, and, and all those things, but like maybe even, you know, one step beyond that yeah. too. Yeah. Yeah, it is, right? It's so hard. What are you going to say about God that would just be one thing? Obviously, the gospel comes to mind, but I just, as I was thinking about it, one thing that has meant a lot to me is this idea of God and his steadfast love, right? In the Old Testament, you know, it's this word chesed. You got to get that, that noise in there, chesed. And what's interesting is we talk, it's good to know that that word exists because we don't have good translation for it. It is this word that is packed with so much meaning. It's the idea of how God, God even introduces himself, right? So when Moses is standing on the mountain and he asks God to appear before him, we talked about this the other week in Romans. Here's what he says. It says, the Lord passed before him, Yahweh passed before him and proclaimed, Yahweh, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious. That's what we were talking about in Romans. Slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. That's like a core attribute of God. If he's going to introduce himself, that's one of the things he says about himself is that he, he is full of steadfast love. And if I look at my life and my experience with God, I see so many instances. So it just feels like it's the majority of it is his steadfast care for me. Ways in which I didn't rightly love him, ways in which I didn't rightly follow him, ways in which he was loving me, and, and ways that I didn't see till years later was his care and, and his love for me. And I, I, I love how even the psalmist goes here then later. Psalm 5 says this, but I, through the abundance of your steadfast love, will enter your house. I will bow down towards your holy temple in the fear of you. I mean, that's the only way we get back into right relationship with God is because of his steadfast love his steadfast love that he would come, that he would become the God-man, that he would deal with our sins through the cross, through his resurrection and through his reigning in power. I, that steadfast love just seems like it's behind there. And you, you read scripture, it comes out everywhere. The prophets are talking about it. Uh, everyone continues to speak about this steadfast love, this, that nature of God that is, is never ending in his pursuit of his people. Um, so... <clears throat> I've found in my own life, like where God has had victory, or where the enemies had victory, mm-hmm. God will always have more victory. I've seen that, but it's funny how quick that becomes a slip up. And so, for you, like I've always kind of been of the model, like C's get degrees, like you know that's kind of my motto. You've always been like an A, A minus, maybe is, pa- is past barely passing. So, so in that same vein, like what's something that you, you see God working, especially as someone mm-hmm. that grew up in the holiness movement and kind mm-hmm. of works based, mm-hmm. like uh, in. In that same, what, what's something that God is continually working on you? Sometimes maybe you find yourself discouraged, but yet He gives you hope in because mm-hmm. of. So yeah, no, for sure. I, whether it's background or just nature, um, the way God designed me, I I, I push towards perfectionism. Um, that is my own internal thing. Um, I'm sure it leaks out onto others around me. Um, yeah, when I think about what 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 what's sinful there, right? Obviously, it, it's rooted in pride this desire to see and make much of myself, 
to see to see others probably make much of myself. And I always think of James 4, where he's quoting from the Proverbs. We just read through James not that long ago, right? And it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Like, that is scary to think about God opposing you. I do not want God to oppose me. I think when I think of how it probably specifically works out in me, yeah, like you said, I, I take good comments like this from 1 Corinthians 6, which is, this is particularly about sexual sin, but Paul's appealing to something bigger here. He says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you are bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. I take a very good statement like that, this idea that, that I should try to glorify God with what I do and then go overboard and, and, and probably take it to the extreme a lot of times. So what, what I feel like God has had to work in my heart is this idea what I laid, lay that down. Lay down my identity before him. Let my identity be found only in him. Uh, and for me, it's, you know, I come back to this idea that even Jesus said in John 10. He says, for this reason, the father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. Like Jesus felt the father smile because he laid down his life. He laid down what he could have kept, right? By all rights as God, he didn't have to do that. And so to find myself called by God to constantly give up my view of myself, my desires, it may not always be the right thing. Even if you do something well, it may not be what's needed in the situation. In fact, it may not even be good in the situation. Um, so I feel like that's an area that God's always challenging me on. Would I be willing to lay my life down? Would I be willing to consider others more important? This isn't the Ryan show. I mean, I know all of us, I'm, someone recently said to me that they were boggled by the reality that everyone around them has as many thoughts going on in their head as they have going on in their head. It starts to hurt real quick when you start to think about that, that everyone in this room right now is thinking so many thoughts that are going on. And yet so often I think it's the Ryan show and you think it's the you show. And, and to come back to, it's not about that, that it's about the Lord. And I want people to see him. Um, what is... This is this is hard because we were going through a book study together and as they're with our families and you made this comment a year ago about the idea of like I love this author because it feels like no matter what he's doing however he's writing about whatever topic it is because he's written a lot of books mm-hmm. he always puts the gospel front and center like it's always there and honestly like in years of knowing you that's all I've ever seen in you is this desire to see the gospel be known to be presented, to represent it well. Maybe at times in your flesh you were trying to be perfect in it, but like I didn't see that. I just saw that you are enamored by the gospel. Like the gospel is what you always point social settings and Bible studies back to, which I just love about it. So aside from the, the gospel, or maybe inside of the gospel, like what's one thing in that that you're like, man, I wish everyone knew this about God in that way? Yeah, I, yeah right. Because I think this is embedded in the gospel. I wish people saw God as joyful. I think too often we think of God as maybe quasi-angry or just mildly accepting of us, right? <laughs> that that it, when, when he sees us in our sin, when what we've done, he's scowling, he's angry, and he's basically saying, go fix yourself up, right? Then come back to me, now we'll talk. And that's not at all how he talks about himself. Even when you look at the author of Hebrews, the author of, the, of Hebrews says this about Jesus. It says, Hebrews 12, 2, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. He didn't begrudgingly do any of that. He didn't do it compelled, made, forced. Rather, he went to the cross with joy in the back of his mind. 
that he was thinking about how much this was going to please the Father, how much as the Godhead they were going to be enjoying the fellowship of the people that he was drawing to himself, that he did all those things for joy. That he went to the cross, he went through the despising and the shame through, through the death. That's amazing to me. And that's how God looks on us in Jesus Christ. He doesn't look at Bren every time Bren sins and goes, I'm kind of halfway disgusted with you, come back later. The three times you sinned, yes. He looks, he looks at us in our sin and says, I am happy with you in Jesus Christ. Come back to me. I mean, that's a thing that I failed to do as a friend. I failed to do it as a father. I, I wish we just knew and loved the Lord that way, that we really believed that he is joyful when he looks on us, that he is pleased with who we are, and that he is excited to walk and draw us back into relationship through Jesus Christ. Well, when, you know, you think about Ephesians, this is off script, sorry. Mm-hmm. When you think about Ephesians, uh, in Ephesians 3, he talks about this manifold wisdom of God being displayed, yeah. right? When he's talking about the spiritual gifts that the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. works in us. And I think about all the history and the time of Ref. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to cry. But I think, like, realistically, like, we've missed, we've needed, like, a, a gifted mm-hmm. son of the Most High King, who is you, mm-hmm. here to help us display the very colored wisdom of God to this world. And so I am so excited, so honored, so humbled to be able to work alongside you and follow your leadership. And so thank you for for all you do. Thank you for what you're doing ahead of us. And thank you for um, your your tenacity and faithfulness to the gospel always. So thank you you for that. Um, Will you close us in prayer, please? Sure. Father, none of us deserve the grace that you're giving us today. I, I don't deserve the grace you give me, Lord. Uh, you are such a good and kind God, as we are reading about in Romans. You are, you are a God who has smiled upon us in Jesus Christ. Lord, thank you for doing that. Thank you that you chose today, even under a beautiful morning, to, to care for us, to draw us to yourself. Father, I, I am so humbled to be a part of the things that you do, just like all of us are. Lord God, would you, would you help us to press into you, to love that you are the one that we seek, that it is a real relationship, it's not just knowledge. Father, thank you for, for the, the body of believers that is here at Rev, these brothers and sisters who, who love you and therefore want to love one another. Lord, would we love each other well? Lord, would you help me uh, as an elder and then as, as a lead pastor, Lord, to encourage us only towards you, Lord? Would anything that is not of you but anything that is not guiding us towards you fall away. Father, would be the only thing that people think about and see. Father, when I'm up here, when Bren, any elder, any leader is up here, would the only thing be that we see you. We see the beauty of what you've done for us in Jesus Christ. Father, thank you for just a chance to be a part of your people, to know your love, and then to share that love with a watching world. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.